With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, February 10th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. We're going to recap what we saw during Super Bowl 55. Talk some Big Ten college basketball. Talk about how maybe Ken Palm is off a little bit right now. We'll get Kiev's thoughts on that. And then take a look at UFC 258 coming up here on Saturday. Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns in the main event there for that one. Kiev's got some plays for us for this weekend in the MMA world. Over at ATS.io, in fact, I put up a preview for UFC 258 this morning. So you can go check that out over at the website. I'll talk later on in the show about two special offers from DraftKings regarding UFC 258 as well. You can also get my preview of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am over at the website. And I'm still working very hard on that 2021 MLB betting guide. About 10 first drafts written now, hoping to have that out about two weeks or so from tomorrow. So got a lot of work to do with that, a lot of research going on. Going to be taking up the bulk of my time here over the rest of the month of February. Finally, as you know, download the ATS app. It's a great product. It's something that you absolutely want to have at your disposal. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen, full article integration from the website. Lots of stuff going on in that ATS app. You can find that in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store, or you can find a direct link to download it over at ATS.io. So check out that ATS app today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers at the Odds Breakers on Twitter. Kiev, how's it going today, man? Doing great, Adam. Just uh, you know, recapping a little bit of last weekend and getting into college basketball. UFC 258 is coming up as well. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Lots of stuff to get to here on today's program. And uh, let's start by talking about the Super Bowl, which not really the game we hoped for, not really the game that we expected, certainly not the game that I expected, uh, losing money on both the side as well as the props that I played here for this year. So a pretty disappointing outcome in that regard. What did you think of Chiefs versus Bucks on Sunday night? Oh, man, unfortunately, it certainly wasn't the most exciting Super Bowl out there for people to watch. You know, the refs, they put their stamp on the game early. I mean, three there's three really bad calls in the first half. It kind of handicapped the Chiefs. But all in all, Kansas City, they couldn't fight back. They're, after being compromised, they had, they had the offensive line issues with Fisher out, and they did lose another tackle about four or five weeks before that. Uh, Tampa's defense was much better than uh, what they showed during the regular season. I'll give them that. Uh, and, uh, you know, my, there's p- players dropping passes. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, terrible. It, it sucks to watch a Super Bowl when you see that they're just going to run the clock out. I mean, that did help for us from some of the bets that we placed. Tom, you know, Tom Brady under 39.5 passing attempts that we hit our sacks props and things like that. So from a sports betting standpoint, we were slightly profitable on the props and we did hit our first half under, which was our only play. So we were up three, four units, nothing spectacular, but you know, what I'd like to do is I like, I try to make it exciting and I expect uh, if we don't hit one of our, 
big shots for who's going to score a first touchdown, then, you know, we're going to be a little bit, either a little bit profitable or lose a little bit, you know, it's never going to be too, uh, uh, too, too bad or, or too good unless we hit one of those big ones. You know, it's tough because the props at least give you interest in the game all the way until the end, but it was very hard to be interested in that game. I mean, you know, Right from the jump, it was very clear that Mahomes was going to be running for his life all game long. The offensive line, that patchwork unit, they couldn't do anything with the speed rush from the Buccaneers. They couldn't do anything with the front four. They couldn't do anything with Shaq Barrett. And, you know, it was it was hard to watch. Mahomes having to run back or spin around or everything else 15, 20 yards at a time just to try and get a pass off, make some ridiculous throw that hits a guy in the face. You know, it was <laughs> it was kind of hard to watch because you sort of – you keep waiting and waiting for Kansas city to make that move. And I thought Tony Romo was actually pretty bad on the commentary overall for the game, but he was absolutely right. When he said at multiple junctures, this just feels different for Kansas city. And and that's really what it was, you know, and I know a lot of people went and played Kansas city minus seven and a half second half. And, you know, some of those things expecting the chiefs to wake up, make their adjustments, but you know, it just wasn't meant to be for them to make those adjustments because they really couldn't. So it was a hard Super Bowl from a watchability standpoint. And, you know, a lot of the props kind of felt decided too, where you knew Tampa Bay was going to run the football. You knew that either Hill or Kelsey would wind up going over just because the Chiefs had fully abandoned the run. It just, uh, you know, of the Super Bowls that we've had here of late, I'm not going to say it was, you know, worse than the Rams and and Patriots Super Bowl, but it was pretty damn close in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and that's the Super Bowl I did think of. And uh, I wasn't one of those players that played Kansas City in the second half, and I sent an email out to our members. I said, we're only going to take the second half over if the score is within 10 points. Well, the score wasn't within 10 points, and so I knew that we were going to see your share of uh, Leonard Fournette and – Jones running the football. So uh, at the same time, you know, Kansas City just could not come back. And the offensive line really did look like there was cluster injuries there. They were very compromised. But at the same time, they had to start, uh, you know, with 95 yards of penalties against them. Um, you know, there's <laughs> lots of people screaming about it, and I don't necessarily disagree. I just kind of look for it as an opportunity for the NFL to hopefully, you know, kind of see some of their downfalls and get a little bit better. Uh, we love the sport of football, and, uh, you know, we want, we want uh, always to see more competition and, um, you know, things that are not decided or handicapped by the officials themselves. But at the same time, you know, when you bet your props, it's like we said before, expect anything, prepare for everything and uh, try to have multiple outs. One thing I am kind of wondering about is, you know, that offsides, the, you know, lining up offsides on that field goal that, you know, of course, then wound up becoming a touchdown. We saw one replay angle of that play during the game, and it wasn't a very good one. It was from the, you know, from the side of the field that was opposite where the penalty was called. I mean, I, I'm not going to say it wasn't a penalty because I don't know. But that was a, a major faux pas from that broadcast, was not showing another angle of what was a very important play at that stage of the game. I don't know how they didn't show that again. Obviously, the PI calls, you know, PI calls are generally pretty subjective to begin with, but you know, it was a very tough set of circumstances for Kansas City. That being said, as we've talked about here on the first two shows this week of ATS Radio, and I'll ask you the same thing here, Kiev. When I look at Kansas City, I see a team that probably goes back to the Super Bowl again next year. 
I feel like they will fix their offensive line issues. They've got, you know, the best quarterback in the conference in Patrick Mahomes, probably the best quarterback in the NFL. You could make an argument, uh, you know, that he is. They'll fix whatever issues they have. They kept both of their coordinators. Yeah, it wasn't a great showing in the Super Bowl, but who beats this team? Like, who comes out of the AFC other than Kansas City? You know, that's a great question because uh, Kansas City was favored in this Super Bowl against Tom Brady, and that says a lot. And they would have to lose a heck of a lot of players to change that narrative. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is still magical. He, they just had a bad game. They couldn't catch the passes. They lost their key offensive line. I don't know who else you're going to put against them. And there's going to be some long shots out there. Some, you know, the chargers seem like one of those trendy plays at 30 to one. And uh, you know, there's a couple other ones out there as well, but you know, for me, I have to see what happens in the draft. I have to see what happens in free agency before I even start thinking of that stuff. But I don't want, I don't want to bet against uh, uh, the chiefs, you know, in the AFC, I'm probably going to leave it alone. If I, if I, if I decide to toy with a future, uh, it would probably be in the NFC, Adam. That makes sense. The NFC, a lot of different teams that could, you know, make a deep run there uh, in Super Bowl 56, which will be, of course, at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. We transition away from the NFL side of things here to talk some college basketball. And you and I were talking before we started recording here. And, you know, I always like to bullshit with my guests before we come on, because I oftentimes wind up finding something that we can talk about during the show here. And you made mention that you've seen some situations here of late where you feel like Ken Palm's number, whether it's side or total, has just been well off from where it should be. And as we know, Ken Palm sets the market. You know, every sportsbook operator out there has a Ken Palm subscription. You know, a lot of people are going to bet based on the Ken Palm numbers and all of that. What is it that you've seen lately that you feel like is, is kind of a shortcoming, you know, with some of those metrics? Well, for sure, you the home road splits, they're not getting that at all. You know, you look at a team like Wisconsin going into Illinois, Wisconsin shooting barely 30% by that time. Now it's 29% for three and, uh, and the road in Illinois, much better team in general, much more talent. Illinois handles them by 15 points. That was a strong lean of mine. The only reason I didn't play Illinois was because their forwards are bad, but at the same time, that didn't matter. You know, that's one thing that I probably shouldn't have let Ken Palm keep me off of. And, and sometimes that's what Ken Palm does. It keeps you off of good plays. Home road splits are telling it. it. Lots of injuries are not factored into his scores. You know, that's important too. Uh, if there's a key injury, somebody rebounding the ball, for example, Mississippi State, they're only, a, according to Ken Palm, a one-point uh, favorite against LSU at home. LSU lost their best rebounder in days. You know, I mean, they, they don't account for that kind of thing. So you got to be careful with that. You know, th- these are the kind of things that you have to dig a little bit deeper into. I mean, sometimes teams, uh, they rebound, they shoot, they have a great assist to turnover ratio, and they will be a dog against somebody that just, uh, you know, has been playing bad teams all year. You know, I mean, you're going to see that. You're going to see some really interesting matchups coming up. Drake versus Loyola this weekend. That's that's one that I'm going to, I can't wait to start digging into, you know. And I think Ken Palm's going to be wrong on some of these numbers. So just remember to try to dig a little bit deeper 
and uh, you know, try to find your own reasons why some of these uh, games are off on Ken Palm. Uh, you look in the conference numbers, the conference numbers are show different on Ken Palm, but their average tempo doesn't. So, uh, you know, try to see if teams have slowed down a little bit because of conference play. Look at their average possession length and look at see, look for teams that have maybe sped it up a little bit when they got into conference play. You know, you're going to see some discrepancies there and the Ken Palm prediction is not going to be on because they use the full year when it comes to their score predicting. So remember that use a couple other sites as well. Your Torvix, look at Eric Haslam stuff, uh, you know, uh, definitely go to sites like team rankings as well to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, I think the injury thing is really important because, you know, it would seem counterintuitive to me as somebody who you know likes to use a lot of metrics and in particular uses them. Uh, you know, a lot on the baseball side, the larger the sample size, the more you can interpret the data, the, the truer that the data should be, because you've got larger sample sizes, you've got more data points to enter into all the formulas and all of that. But as you said, you know, looking at injuries and, and you know, of course, something that's not really differentiated with regards to, to something like Ken Palm is what if you had a team that played with, you know, eight scholarship players or eight guys total four scholarship players, bench guys, walk-ons, all that kind of thing. You know, it's not like those games get a, a glaring asterisk with some of these college basketball metrics websites. It's just a game that goes into the hopper and you know, it's an outlier because players didn't play, but it goes into the full season calculation of everything that's going on. So I think it's a really excellent point is that whether you simply, you know, uh, utilize this in terms of, digging deeper into games where the line is off from Ken Palm or you use this to actively go against, you know, Ken Palm or Torvik, something like that. Make sure that wherever you find your injury information, you are checking that on the regular to see, you know, who's in, who's out. And also to, you know, as you said, like LSU, for example, losing one of their key big guys, one of their top rebounders, how long does it take for these metric sites to catch up with that? Three, four, five games, something like that you may be able to pick off some line value in that span. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's exactly how you have to dig, especially when you're going against the books that are using Ken Palm, you know, they already know it. Dig a little bit deeper. Uh, Trust me, you're going to be happy with the results. So in terms of that, I mean, what else do you, you, you know, are are you, do you have like a a spreadsheet you put metrics into a model, something like that, and then kind of compare that, you know, what's sort of your process for, for setting numbers and then deciding to either play on or, you know, kind of stay away from them. A little bit of everything. You have to use the art to it as well. You know, you saw Miami started playing a little bit better. They're embarrassed, you know, in teams that there's certain spots, there's always your look ahead spots as well. There's your letdown spots. They factor in, they don't factor in a hundred percent, but they, they factor in some, you have to remember if you were right about a team and then just cause they didn't cover the spread last week, no reason to fade them. It, maybe they're just playing a team that hit more shots. You look into some of the box scores, your best data point is if they already played once in a lot of these conferences, if they already played once, look at that box score. That's your first go-to thing right there. And yes, I have a couple models that I use. I actually use some of Ken Palm's numbers and I come up with a little bit uh, uh, different of a score that he does. Right. So I use that and I, then I'll compare it to Torvik and then we'll see what he spits out. I'll compare it to Haslam metrics, it, see what he spits out. I'll look at how well they handle themselves from three point land. I'll look at how they do inside the paint. 
I, I think those are some of the areas that you have to look at. And I have a model that I've been using for years that actually just takes some of their uh, home road stuff and uh, uh, it comes spits out a score based on that. So uh, there's multiple ways of attacking it. And then, you know, the bet becomes bigger if uh, more of the ways you handicap it are in your favor, you know, I mean, there's bound to be some that, you know, are conflicting. And if there are a lot of conf- conflicting back and forth, maybe that's a game you stay away from. So when it comes to the home road splits, I'm kind of curious about this. Have you seen them more pronounced this year, you know, with COVID and, and all the, uh, you know, headaches and inconveniences with travel? Do you feel like, you know, home road dichotomies are, are a lot bigger this season than they have been in the past? No, not really. I think some of the teams that had it in the past still have that issue if they're just better at home or, or in, in that much worse on the road, you know, there's teams like Minnesota teams like Purdue, you know, there, some teams change and that's just going to happen on a year to year basis. But in my opinion, they're using a home field advantage on these sites. And I really can't disagree with some of it because I really think that there is an officiating part of it and there's a recency part of it. And there's that whole part where they're trying to protect what they're doing at home and they the players know how important it is to win at home you know yes the intimidation is gone for some of these conferences but at the same time they're playing in a place that looks different than it did last year there's no fans but they still have the that dark backdrop you know you don't know uh how these teams are going to react so uh, you know according to my calculations the home field advantage isn't quite as prominent but it's a lot more prominent than just one or two points in my in my opinion so um what is your baseline home court advantage 2.3 okay 2.3 is my baseline and i think it was closer to 2.83 points uh last year and the years before so uh you know when these smaller conferences play each other it, a lot of times they weren't that packed anyway <laughs> so are you really gonna punish them from what they did the year before because a bunch of fans aren't showing up you know go ask chicago state how that worked out well, and, and the reason I asked about the baseline, you know, obviously you kind of take your number and then you sort of mold it and shape it based on things like altitude factors, you know, back-to-backs in altitude, uh, you know, bad travel spots, stuff like that. Obviously you kind of have kind of have to add a little bit at that point in time. How did you get to that 2.3, you know, or the previous 2.8 number? Is it is it back testing? Is it just, you know, sort of crowdsourcing opinions from people in your network? How did you get to that number? Well, the 2.8 was mostly, it's pretty well known. And you can see some of that on the action network and other places that, um, you know, that's a key one that they use and it goes up and down. You look at Colorado, it's like five points, right? Utah is up there high as well, you know, but then you look at some of the smaller conferences and sometimes it's less than two points. You know, it just depends upon who it is and where they're playing. So that baseline has been around for a long time. And I go by that. I don't come up with my own stuff because I don't have the time to compile that data when people are already doing it. You got to use what's out there. You know, don't stress yourself out and try to come up with your own stuff. If it, if it's out there for free, you know, there's an a side and a B side, and you just have to gather the data and use it to your best. As far as what I, what I was, I was concerned. I, the way I came up with 2.3 is just, I only gave 0.5 for the crowd. That's it. And that's uh, I think there's still travel and it, it might even be a little bit harder to travel for these kids constantly getting swabbed and, and uh, you know, not in the mood to be going somewhere during COVID <laughs> add that up too, you know? So in my opinion, 
the 2.3 seems pretty consistent, but it, there is definitely a home court advantage. All right, so we'll take a look here at the three games in the Big Ten tonight, then take a look at the one game tomorrow. Of course, Michigan still on that COVID pause, so their game canceled on Thursday night. Let's talk about the first game here in the Big Ten tonight, 5.30 Eastern time tip-off between Indiana and Northwestern. Three and a half, the prevailing number out there in the marketplace right now, total 138. I know we don't always have a ton of immediate day of show listeners, so maybe a little bit of a uh, Christmas present, a late Christmas present here for those that are listening right after I get the show posted. What are you thinking here about this one with Indiana laying three and a half on the road? Oh my God. That, and this, I think this is an ugly, ugly spread here. And uh, it, it just smells to me, you know, you have a, Northwestern that hasn't won since December 26th. I mean, they dropped, was it 11 now? 11 games in a row, <laughs> something like that. It's 10 or 11. It haven't, hasn't won a Big Ten game since last year. And they're at home to an Indiana team that on the road is pretty good. Went to Florida State, pushed them to overtime. You know, Illinois, they just played at home to overtime went to Wisconsin, forced overtime, beat Iowa twice, and they're sitting there only three and a half points. The problem with this is I agree with the spread. I I was kind of hoping that we'd get like a five or a six just based upon Indiana's a better team than they were last year. Northwestern's a desperate team, but when are you going to, you know, factor in how desperate a team is, you know, maybe more towards the end of the year if they haven't had a Big Ten win? But you can't just handicap because Northwestern hasn't won a game. What I see is Indiana just beating Iowa, and then I see them having Ohio State on deck. Ohio State is the top two Big Ten team right now, you know? So, it, I mean, I would have loved to play Northwestern, but this spread is just begging you to uh, to take Indiana here too. And, ugh, it's low. It's low. Ken Palm only has it at two points and I'm still scratching my head why that is. Cause Ken Palm does not factor in look heads and things like that. But um, in my opinion, unfortunately, this is a stay away game. And if you're going to ask me for a lean, very, very slight lean to Northwestern, but I think the spread's right. Yeah. Torvik showing this one, Indiana minus 1.3. So even lower other than the number that's out there at Ken Palm. What about the middle game tonight? Rutgers and Iowa seven 30 Eastern time tip off for this one. Six and a half, the number. You can find some sevens out there if you do want to take the Rutgers side of this one. Iowa taking the early money, the overnight money for this game. Total here, 150 and a half. And this one has come down a bit. So feels a little bit counterintuitive to me that you would see Iowa money on the side, but the total coming down a little bit. What do you make of that? I think that's very strange. And I think maybe people are thinking that Iowa has to play some defense here. Uh, Rutgers, uh, they, they've been on a great run. I mean, four wins in a row, right? And uh, Iowa losing four out of five games, yet Iowa money is coming in. Well, uh, the reason that is is because people just think that Iowa's due for a comeback and they play fast, so they should be able to get some margin. My question is, what's going on with C.J. Frederick? Is he going to play? You know, he's been really banged up, and it seemed to throw Iowa's offense out of off a lot you know uh i mean this cold spell is partially because of that but the truth is they don't play defense you have to play some defense in the big 10 here and they haven't shown that they're doing that i mean Rutgers, 
they're, they're, they're gelling at the right time. But um, the last time these two teams played, Iowa did win in Jersey there. They only won by two points. But I think there's an advantage to Rutgers because of that, because Rutgers actually saw them play the game here. Just from my pure numbers, I have Iowa winning this game 80 to 75. Um, I guess if CJ Frederick plays, then I have then I have to give uh, a couple points to Iowa there, maybe 82, 74, something like that. But um uh, both Ken Palm and Torbeck have it the same 81 to 74 has a metrics has the game 80.5 to 70.5 at, at, at the 150 and a half. I have to lean to the over, but I can see Iowa playing a little bit more defense and the when a warning to this total um, both teams play a little bit slower in conference play. I haven't made a play on this game yet, Adam, I'm going to keep watching it. Well, as I'm looking through Twitter here, I don't see any new updates on Frederick's status, which would imply to me that he's probably not going to play tonight for Iowa. And as you said, they've been pretty disjointed without him. And this is a team that, look, I mean, if they're disjointed on offense, they are, uh, you know, kind of the one-armed man in the boat. You know, they just kind of spin themselves in circles because they can't play defense. So they have to outscore the opposition in order to win games. If you don't think they can do that tonight, well, then you probably wind up on the Rutgers side in that one last one here on the main board for tonight there are some games on the quote-unquote added board from the Southland Conference but Wisconsin and Nebraska in this one Wisconsin favored by 11 pretty much market-wide for this matchup was 12 on the open total 137 Uh, I know you're a big Wisconsin guy so what are you looking at for this game tonight Kiev well I mean is Teddy Allen gonna play for Nebraska you know he's possibly their best player there. Uh, huge question for me. Maybe you can look that up while I'm talking about it. But the problem with Wisconsin is kind of what I mentioned before. They shoot terrible on the road, especially from three-point. Shooting 40% at home and shooting 29% on the road, that's a, it's a huge disparity right there. Now, they're embarrassed against Illinois, but they're beaten by, by Illinois bad. And you wonder what their mindset is after this game. I, they should be able to bounce back. Nebraska plays fast. Nebraska loses fast. You see a very big spread right here. But in general, I think Wisconsin's overrated. I think Wisconsin's maybe a top 20 team, not a top 11 or 12 team that Ken Palm has them. So I, I have some conflicts there. Uh, I personally have this game, Wisconsin by nine, 74 to 65. If Teddy Allen is playing for Nebraska, I mean, if not, then I guess, uh, the spread is more correct to me. So, um, unfortunately to be honest with you, I only can lean to the over here, even though Wisconsin hasn't been shooting well on the road, you have to expect them to do a little bit better than they did against a a better defensive team in, in Illinois. Uh, you know, they're embarrassed. And I also expect Nebraska to play fast and put up a few points. So um, I'm not making a play on this as of right now, but uh, I have Wisconsin by nine. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It seems like Nebraska is kind of benching Allen. It looks like it's not even an injury situation necessarily. Uh, It's a coach's decision with, with Hoiberg. So, you know, again, not seeing an update on that one for tonight's game and the fact that there's not an update would lead me to believe that he's probably not going to wind up playing in this one. But again, it speaks to, you know, trying to have as much organization as possible in terms of sources that you check for injury information. You know, I, I, there are a lot of reasons to like Twitter. There are a lot of reasons to hate Twitter, but one reason to like Twitter is it's a great news source for you. So 
do you have like beat writer lists or something like that? Or do you, you know, just kind of know where to look when it comes to those injury situations? I, I follow some beat writers and there's a couple very good, you know, ones on Twitter, of course, Rothstein, um, <laughs> to, you, you should probably set your Twitter to get those announcements. He retweets a lot of that. I mean, people that retweet the beat writers are probably better than just following a bunch of beat writers because they're going to retweet the stuff that really um, makes sense. Uh, there's a guy uh, named Rocco Miller. Uh, at Rocco Miller eight, he tweets a lot of that stuff, especially in the smaller conferences. So uh, I like to follow those kind of people. Of course, in the big 10, I I, I'm locked into a lot of beat writers themselves, but unfortunately the beat writers don't even know a lot of the time because the coaches aren't telling them and they don't want to give the other team an advantage. So uh, if, if you get some stuff early, that's great. And then, you know, try to make the play before the market does uh, uh, the fact that you have apps these days, it gives you that ability. You know, I've made plenty of money on just straight up beat writers and getting that information uh, before Vegas can make the adjustment. One more game to talk about here in the big 10 and that's for Thursday night. And I feel like based on the context of the conversation we've had here so far, I got a pretty good idea of where you're looking with this five o'clock Eastern tip off. So this one will be happening during the workday for some people here between Purdue and Minnesota up at the barn in Minneapolis. And uh, like I said, based on what we've talked about so far, I I think I know where you're going to go with this one. (laughs) You know me well, Adam. Well, (laughs) this is going to be a great game. Pace war. Purdue has some very big men down low. They don't want to run Zach Edney seven, four, a little bit inconsistent. You know, he hits the ball and kind of just flops it up there. And if it goes in, if it does, and if not, he's got a good shot at 7-4 being getting the rebound. Travion Williams doesn't love to run. He does. He can. But um, it's just more beneficial for Purdue to keep this pace slow. Uh, Minnesota's going to have to try to pace this game, and they have some faster players. They have some players that are in better shape. Um, Purdue's going to benefit from a mismatch probably with Trayvon, Travion Williams. They actually do a lot in a lot of cases. Brandon Johnson's probably going to have to guard him. Um, but who's going to be guarding Liam Robbins then? You know, I think Travion Williams is going to have to guard Lee, uh, Liam Robbins and Liam Robbins is taller, but Liam Robbins shoots the three and he shoots the three very well at home over 40% last time I checked. So, um, Zach Edney's not going to go out in the perimeter. That's where, Minnesota has their chance to win. They have a lot of three-point shooters there. Uh, both Gatches playing some very good ball. I mean, if Leon Robbins can hit the three, it tra- it's going to pull Travion Williams out, and uh, then you're going to give Minnesota a better rebounding advantage because Travion's such a, a beast down low. So um, Zach Edney, he, he's going to be a great player. Um, I think the one of the best matchups to watch is Marcus Carr. You know, he's going to be going – against uh Purdue's uh Ivy Jalen Ivy and Ivy's only a freshman Carr is a, a sophomore or junior he's got more experience I, and I kind of like the fact that Carr is more seasoned so I think Carr is gonna uh, a win win that match up there and, and Minnesota you want to talk about home road splits here and I know Minnesota has had an easy non-conference that throws this number off a little bit but they average 81.4 points at home and only 64.3 points on the road. That's a big discrepancy right there. So Minnesota, even though they had that bad loss against Maryland at home, recent one, 
this is just all the more reason to bet on Minnesota in the barn and get them to cover a short spread, which should only be about one point against Purdue. We're going to take Minnesota. Well, when we look back to the first game between these two teams, an 81 to 62 victory for Purdue. Williams, who you mentioned, 14 rebounds in that game, 17 points, 14 rebounds, six offensive boards. Gillis had five offensive boards. Purdue, 17 to nine in the offensive rebounding department, also did much better on the defensive side. But Minnesota missed a lot of shots, as they oftentimes do when they go out on the road. So certainly an interesting game there coming up on Thursday night at the barn. I guess real quickly here, I I lied to our listeners, but Illinois and Nebraska on Friday night, I think it's kind of interesting because you have an Illinois team here that's going to be pretty well-rested and a Nebraska team coming off of playing here on Wednesday night. So a pretty quick turnaround for the Huskers. Oh, huge turnaround. I mean, (laughs) I I mean, you're, 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 instinct is that you want to fade them it's a fr- it should be a friday night game though um adam i don't, I don't think it's a thursday night game no, friday night. my apologies no 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 worries and that's still a fast turning turnaround here you know that's i mean there's a lot of angles that people use the thursday night game and try to fade that team on saturday if they played someone with more rest i mean the thing about nebraska is you know they do play fast they should be in some decent shape here but um you know you still have some of the questions with Nebraska as far as, you know, Teddy Allen, if he's playing or not, I assume he can't be completely in the doghouse. I mean, find out if he plays against Wisconsin, but um, you're probably going to see some people hitting Illinois pretty quickly being them off, uh, off a longer rest here. So uh, for Nebraska, uh, they can't match up against Illinois. No way. Um, and I think Nebraska is going to probably, I, 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 I'm going to lean Illinois without seeing the spread. The spread's looking like 15, according to Ken Palm, you know, the, if they cover against Wisconsin and make it a close game, this might even be one you can get a little bit sweeter of a number on. So I'm going to give you a lean on Illinois until I see what's going on. Yeah, of course, we'll have to see what that number looks like. It seems like it's going to be probably double digits here for Illinois. And, you know, it's not really a big surprise because Wisconsin double digit favorite here against Nebraska on Wednesday night. All right, so let's transition over to the UFC side of things here. We don't talk a whole lot of UFC on the show, so pretty excited about this to chat a little bit about UFC 258. And before we get Kiev's thoughts here on this card, some of the plays that he likes, I want to let you know that over at DraftKings Sportsbook, there are two different promotions, two different bet $1, win $100 promotions for UFC 258. Of course, DraftKings is the official betting partner of the UFC. The first promotion For those in Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, and Michigan. So basically Big Ten or yeah, Big Ten country plus Colorado. You can bet one dollar, win a hundred dollars on the fighter of your choice in the main event between Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns. So the fact that Usman's minus two seventy eight doesn't matter to you. If you are a first time depositor over at DraftKings Sportsbook, deposit at least five bucks. Max bet on this one is a dollar but you'll win $100 if the fighter you pick in the main event is the winner. The second promotion available for those in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia, this one's even easier. Bet $1, win $100. If either fighter lands a punch, that's it. You bet on either fighter in the main event, a dollar on the money line, and if either fighter lands a punch, you win $100. So two offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. You can read about those over at ATS.io. And with that, Kiev, I don't know if you've got a strong opinion here on the main event between Usman and Burns. 
Like I said, Usman in that minus 278 range, Burns plus 220, plus 225 on the take back. Any thoughts on that fight? Oh, absolutely. And unfortunately, this fight's going to be extremely boring. And Kamaru Usman fights are boring. Uh, if you've watched him, he what he does is he pins his opponent against the cage. And then at a, after about a minute or 90 seconds, the ref will break it up. And then what does he do? He grabs his opponent and pins him against the cage for another 60 or 90 seconds. His last 11 fights, nine of them went to decision. You know, that's how he wins. He's big. He's strong. He's got a long reach. You know, I mean, for being 170 pounds, a six foot tall, he's 76 inch reach. He's got an advantage over most of his opponents. You know, Uh, he's extremely strong and, and, and he fights to win. You know, he cares about winning. He doesn't care about knocking people out. Now, um, he did get a recent knockout, I think it was two fights ago, but only because the, the fighter asked for it. And <laughs> it, it, it was hit really late in the fight. The fighter's just like, like let's just go blow for blow. And uh, it, 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 it was mine eventually won that one. So uh, very easy for him. But at the same time, uh, unfortunately, even though this is going to be boring, Usman's going to win this fight. The way I look at this, Usman 17 and one hasn't lost since 2013. He's the champion. What's going to happen is this fight will go the distance. And that's where you're going to find your value, even at five rounds. And you think this is so long uh, to get to that distance. I just think that this is the way it's going to play out. You can get Usman at minus one Oh five to win indecision slash points you know so that's the smartest play in my opinion if you just want to take the fight to go to the distance i like that play too at minus 140 but as far as uh exciting events uzman's probably the most boring fighter in the ufc but that doesn't mean you can't make some money so we look at the lead-in to the main event here between macy barber and alexa grasso you know, Macy Barber coming back off of the torn ACL that she suffered last January. And, you know, as I was looking at this fight, kind of comparing the, the body of work for the two women here, this line would be flipped at least and probably even bigger if Barber wasn't coming off of the ACL, wasn't coming off of basically 13 months uh, on the shelf here. To me, I, I feel like there's value in her at the plus price. I mean, I think the only fighter that can beat her in this fight is herself if she's not there physically or mentally if she's kind of tentative with that knee i mean look not to take anything away from grasso who's you know obviously put together a pretty decent career herself has lost to the two best fighters she's faced in carla Esparza and tatiana suarez this line just seems mispriced to me because of you know just uncertainty about Barber, but I mean, she wouldn't be out there if she wasn't cleared. She's 23 years old. They're not jeopardizing her career to put her in this fight. No, no, they're no, they're not. And, uh, and I think you nailed it, Adam. I think that's the whole reason why she is a slight dog. And I expect that to change. I expect it to flip uh, by the time this fight happens. She's only at what, what plus 120 right now. So if you like this side, take it early. You know, when it comes to these light, lightweight fights between females it, i try to lean towards the dog as it is uh, just in general uh, sometimes though, I, I just try to avoid some of the fights unless it's uh, my girl nunez who uh, i've been winning on since uh, the cows came home but it, 
Grasso, she's a decent, she's a formidable opponent too, you know, and uh, she's got a decent uh, uh, takedown percentage, 40%. Uh, that's her accuracy. So that's pretty good. Uh, as far as significant strikes per minute, Bar- you win, Barber wins that six to 5.35. Uh, Barber's a better and more accurate striker. She lands 60% of her significant strikes. Grasso lands 42.8% of them. Yeah, I think the wrong fighter's favored right now. And if you want to throw a little bit on Barbara, I don't have a problem with that. So are there any other fights on the card here that you're taking a look at where you feel like you got a pretty good edge? Yeah, I I think that we should look at the Gastelum fight here. And, uh, you know, Ian Heinich versus Kelvin Gastelum. Gastelum's minus 230. And I think that... That, that price seems really steep to me. Gaslum's a good fighter. He's been around the block plenty of times, 29 years old. But I kind of feel like he's already peaked. Uh, he, he feels like a, a, a borderline tier two slash tier three fighter. Kelvin lost four of his last six fights. He hasn't really shown me a lot. You know, he, 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 he tries to, some fighters before that, you know, look past him and, and probably lost, but Heinz is a really good fighter as well. And uh, he could be better than Gastelum sitting here at plus plus one eighty. Uh, he's 14 and three, his only two UFC losses um, came to against great competition. Derek Brunson, uh, Omari Akhmadov, great fighters. And both of them went the distance. You know, I, I think both fighters are going to take some punches. Gastelum, um, seems a little bit more submish, uh, uh, susceptible to submission than Ian is. But the good news for Gasoloom, Ian doesn't really win by submission. So that makes this chances increase to go the three-round distance. You know, Gasoloom's never been knocked out. And so it, he loses by decision or he loses by submission. So um, Ian's got the better strike accuracy, 52% to 43%. He's also got the better takedown average, 1.8, uh, 1.18 per 15 minutes to 0.87 per 15 minutes. I think this fight's going to go the distance. And I, well, the price tells you that. It says minus 225 to go the distance. But I think Ian can easily win this fight. Uh, a plus 190. Heck yeah, I think this should be more of an even price. If not, I, th- I think the wrong fighter might be favored. I think the two plays you should look at here is Ian to win the fight at plus 180 and maybe take half that bet and bet him to win by decision at plus 350. So, you know, that's my best look for the card right now. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into it come uh, a little bit today and tomorrow. Well, you got a lot of stuff going on over at the Odds Breakers. His name is Kiev O'Neill over there. And, uh, I'm sure you got another podcast coming up this week and a lot of written content as well. Yeah, absolutely. We have a podcast coming up uh, Thursday. We're going to probably try to, we're going to try to cover the Daytona 500 a little bit with a guest and we're going to try to uh, get a little bit more into these fights. So I, I, of course, I'm going to cover some college basketball games for the weekend. We're going to get Kyle back on for, for better odds sports betting on Friday. We're going to have a guest for that. That shows up at 1 p.m. Eastern. Make sure you check that out because we're going to have a nice feel on some of the Saturday games by Friday for your weekend betting pleasure. Should be a lot of fun. Definitely looking forward to that. Make sure you follow Kiev on Twitter at the odds breakers or at OB Kiev K I E V Kiev O'Neill. Thank you so much for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Great insights on today's show. And we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great weekend, Adam. There you go. There's Kiev O'Neill again over at the oddsbreakers.com. 
Coming up on our Thursday edition of ATS Radio, we'll chat with professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We'll recap the Super Bowl with him, maybe talk a little bit of college football if there's some news to discuss, and then also take a look at the college basketball side of things with him. Not yet sure about Friday's show, but based on the fact that WinBet put out MLB season win totals last night, uh, I may just fly solo on Friday, give you some early thoughts on those and some early thoughts on where I'm at with my MLB betting guide. They'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.